turn to Titus 2. We're going to continue our study of Titus, and we're going to look at verses 4 and 5 today. Uh, This week we're going to look at younger women. We've looked at older men. We've looked at older women. Today is younger women. And um, uh, that even saying that can be divisive. Younger. Younger women. Just uh, who is younger. And next week for Father's Day we'll look at uh, younger men. And uh, then on the 22nd, um, Ray Sanabria, I will be uh, out of town uh, taking a family vacation and uh, uh, Ray Sanabria is going to come and, and preach on Titus 2, 11 through 15. It works out great. He actually, when he heard uh, I was preaching through Titus, that's one of his favorite passages, and he studied that a lot, and he asked me if he could teach that. And so I, I said, absolutely, I'll, I'll, I'll go slow, and, but it's worthy. I don't, hopefully, I'm not dragging you through this. Hopefully, you understand that the, the scriptures are good for it, but I said it'll work out. I can teach on for fathers on Father's Day. That's a novel idea. We'll address fathers on Father's Day. So I'll look more clever than I really am. So um, last week, we, again, we looked at the pursuit of godliness in the lives of those who are older, and, and we looked at what it, did, what it meant, what it didn't mean. We looked at the reason uh, for that was so that they could train those who are younger. Anthony, will you close that door there for me? And uh, this week, uh, we also said that, that the reason they were to do that was this stands in direct contradiction, directly counter to the false teachers that we looked at in the end of chapter 1. And we said that this is the why behind all that we do, so that we can train, so that, so that we can glorify the Lord. The glory of the gospel and the good of others, that, that's the why behind everything we do. And we we must see this. Everything that we see here and everything throughout Titus, he makes sure they understand it is for the glory of God and His wonderful gospel, but also the good of others. We're not doing this just to, to live a better life. We're doing this because our Heavenly Father has called us to it and we are to reflect His character in this world. He, Paul is, is instructing Titus and this young church on what it means to be a believer, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, what it means to be a Christian. And we are to be compelled and, and, and driven, and what fuels our life as believers is sound, right doctrine. It is literally God in us. God is the one doing this in us. We fill ourselves up with God's Word, and what others around us get out of that is God's Word. It literally is God living through us. We are to reflect the character of our Father, whether young or old, at all times. We exist to reflect the greatness of our Father. We're His. We saw in 1 Corinthians, we've been bought with a price. We're not our own. The life I live in the flesh, I live to God. I don't live to myself. That, that's Christianity. And today, what we see today is directed at at young women. But hear me, this passage is not to be held over the heads of young women. If you have a daughter, if you have a wife, you as a husband, you as a father are to help them become these type of women. Not hold it over their heads and drive them. You are to help them become this type of woman. Husbands, you can look at Ephesians 5. Christ is helping His bride, the church, become perfect, to grow maturity, to be spotless, without wrinkle. 
and he's loving them in that way. It's not to be held over their head and just like a little, you know, it's not to be the little rabbit that the dog hound is, the greyhound is always chasing, can never get. You're to help them achieve it. You don't hold this over your wife or your daughter and show them how they don't measure up. Help them measure up. Help them become this type of woman. Christ did not love us in that way. He, he emptied himself and made us holy. He serves us. We are to do the same for our wives and for our daughters. We ought to help them become like Christ, not just point out how they're not like Christ. Help them become like Christ by being the man that God has called us to be. By being the older woman that God has called you to be. By being the older man that God has called you to be. You're pouring ourselves into younger generations. That's what Titus is saying here. To live out the gospel. How do we live out the gospel as an older woman, as, a young, as an older man? Today as a younger woman, as a younger man. So pray with me. Lord, write these words on our heart. Lord, I pray that if we do not already, that we would... Taste and see that you are good. Lord, that the words that we read today, though challenging, though confronting, though convicting at times, pray they would be sweet to our lips like honey. I believe through a steady diet of your word, your words will become food and we'll eat them up. There's no other way that we can keep our way pure other than filling ourselves up with your word and and walking in it. The Word of God richly dwelling in us, beginning to control us. That's your desire, that we would, in doing that, we would live out your character, that we would reflect you, our Heavenly Father. Lord, as we study this passage, I pray that you would fight off the enemy from trying to condemn any young woman, any woman here that's here today that has made some choices, decisions as we all have that we wished we hadn't. We all are in that boat. Don't let the enemy condemn. I pray that response, as we look at our own lives and areas that we've fallen short, areas that we don't measure up, Lord, I pray the response would be repentance. And I pray that we would call upon you, the one true God, to, 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 to wash our sins white as snow and, and, and give us a fresh start. Help us to find your grace and your mercy that awaits us new every single morning. Don't let the enemy condemn. Lord, may our sins be forgiven by the blood of Christ through faith in the blood of Christ. May they be washed white as snow and may we even start today living out what you've called us to be. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Titus 2, just two verses. I'll start in verse 3. We'll look at verses 4 and 5 today. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. And immediately, look at what he says, verse 4. The reason older women are to live that way is so that they may encourage the younger women. That word encourage, it means train. Come alongside and train. To, here's, and, and, and look at what he says. If you're like me, we're going to look at this. This is strange. To what, what they're to be trained to do is strange. Train them to love their husbands. 
Train them to love their children. Teach them to be sensible, pure. This is always a fun one. Workers at home. I've already lost about three-quarters of the crowd right there. Workers at home. Here we go. Here we go. Kind. Teach them to be kind. Teach a mom to be kind. What? Being subject to their own husbands. There's another fun one. Have fun with that one. But look at the point. So that the word of God will not be dishonored. Do you, do you see what? Do you see the? Do you see the importance of what we're talking about here? See how important it is how we live our lives. Do you see the importance of the home, friends? The the word of God. The integrity of the Word of God, how the world views the Word of God, how they think about the Word of God, what they say about the Word of God, hangs in the balance, and it starts at home. It starts in the home. And how we train our young boys and our young girls, and how we pass off the greatness of God's Word and a love for God's Word, it starts at home. And hear me, this isn't something that we're just to pull up our bootstraps and be better at. The Word of God, the Gospel not only commands this, but it empowers it. You see that on your handout. It empowers us to live this way, but we've got to be full of the Word of God in order to live this way. We we have our men's Bible study. We closed it up on Thursdays and on this past Thursday. And my, my great fear is that so many of us as Christians are starved of the Word of God, and we're starved, we're starved, we're, we're, we're dry spiritually, and we're trying to run the marathon, we're trying to live this Christian life, but we're malnourished, we're not full of, of the fuel that God has given so that we live it out. Our lives are just like our cars. That tank is constantly, the second I pull away from the gas station, that tank is on its way to E. And if it gets to E and I don't do anything about that, I'm going to be in trouble. And if we think we can live this Christian life on our own and neglect the Word of God or have little teeny snacks on the Word of God here and there, I think we're looking around and we're seeing the effects of living that way. What what we see here for older women, for older men, for younger women, for younger men is impossible on our own. Hear me, it's impossible. It is impossible on our own. That's the whole point. God wants to do this in us. Why? So He gets the credit. So So the world looks there and says, man, look at that. God in me. God's doing that. It's impossible. So we, we have to have God's Word. Again, He says this has to be trained. It's not natural. It's not As much as we think, it's not natural. It has to be trained. And what we're going to see today, the only point for today is this. It's the pursuit of godliness as a younger woman. That's what He's talking about. It's the pursuit of godliness. Can you say today, just real quickly, can you honestly say you're chasing after godliness more than anything else? Young women, are you chasing after godliness? And again, young women in technical sense, some of that has to do with spiritual maturity, but a lot of it has to do with anyone really under the age of 50 probably. 40, 50 would be younger women. There's a lot of you in here. Can you honestly say today that you are pursuing godliness? By the way, is it 10 o'clock? 
I just want to make sure this clock is right. Is it 10 hours? Okay, just make sure. Somebody the other day said it was wrong, and I'm thinking, if I'm trusting this, and you're like, it's 11.15, get us out of here. It's a pursuit. It's a pursuit. That's where my attention issues get all jumbled up in my mind. It's a pursuit. Can you honestly today say that you're pursuing? If not, what are you pursuing? What are you pursuing? Because the challenge is, whatever I pursue, chances are my kids are going to pursue. And is it worth it? Is what you're pursuing worth spending your whole life on? At the end of your life, are you going to get to the end and figure, I've I've wasted my life? I hope not, because Paul is telling Titus, train. What we see here is the result of, of older women being able to teach pouring their lives into younger women. Every single quality we see here, there are seven of them, draw their existence from a mature woman training a younger woman on how to do this. Training. It's not natural. As much as we think, it's not natural. You have to be trained. I have to be trained. And and there is an urgency. If you could understand it, there is an urgency here behind what Paul is saying. Mentoring is absolutely needed. It's a training. And this is a profile of a godly young woman. It, it It was meant by Paul to be a slap in the face to the culture in which they were living and what was going on culturally. What you read here would have been a slap in the face. It would have been a, a form of like a wake-up call to the culture that Paul was writing to when he penned Titus. It would have been a, it would have been a slap in the face. It would have been staunchly different. Staunchly different. And he is, he is, he is giving a, a profile and he is telling Titus to have the older women call back these younger women from the world. Call them back. Call them back to embrace God's design for, for, for what a younger woman is to look like. That's what we see here. The teaching, it's not just going through the motions outwardly. It starts inwardly. And, and Paul is saying, older women, your primary role, primary function is to take your experience and all that you've learned and pour it into the younger. I, I think about 2 Corinthians 1.3. Comfort others with the comfort you've been comforted with. You've been there, you've done that. You're now to come alongside some younger women who, who, who wonder, am I going to make it through this? And you say, yes, you are. Am I going to be able to love this person who is not always lovable? Yes, you are. Am I going to be able to love this child that's not always lovable? Yes, you are. Hang in there. Been there, done that, I've been right where you are. I've got the scars to prove it. Hang in there. That's what he's saying. And the desire here, what Paul is writing, the desire here is to help the younger woman embrace what God has called them to be. Embrace their role. It's not just a, well, I guess I've got to do this. It's an embracing of what God desires from you. It's a love of it. Why? Because the gospel is at stake and the glory of our Father is at stake. And therefore, we embrace it. We don't just go through the motions. We just don't try to survive. We embrace it. And the culture that in Crete that existed where Paul was writing was anything but Christian. It was anything but encouraging women to be this way. We live in a culture that is not encouraging. I I dare you to go out in the culture. These are the exact passages that the culture we live in will shoot Christianity. Workers at home? How archaic is that? 
Be subject to your husbands? What are you, crazy? No, you be your own woman. You go go blaze your own trail. You don't be subject to anybody. Same culture. Nothing new. The home has always, always, and will always be under fire. Why? Because that is the primary place where God desires discipleship to take place, the home. You want to know why culture, this culture that is ruled by Satan and the enemy, you don't want to know why it's attacking the home? Because that's the primary place that God wants discipleship to take place. The primary place where God wants young men and young women, soldiers for Christ to be raised, is in the home. Guess where Satan's main attacks are? The home. The home. You should expect that. I should expect that. Whatever God makes a priority, you can expect Satan is going to attack or counterfeit. And you can go all the way back to Genesis 3. There is a cosmic battle going on between God and the antagonist, which is Satan. A cosmic battle forever. And it starts in the home. The home is the chief concern here for Paul. The home. The home is the main theater where all of this will take place, where all of this will play out, and it was under attack. It's the home. Satan then, even today, he is is seeking to rob women of the blessings and the joy of not only homemaking, but motherhood. And he's seeking to rob women of the blessings of pouring into other women to help them. There is blessing in embracing what God has called us to be and to do. There is tremendous blessing there. We can't get God's blessing and pursue it our own way. We have to pursue it the way that He has said to pursue it. This isn't, I do my own thing and then I bring it to God and say, here, bless this. He says, no, you do it my way. You do it the way I've called you to do it and I'll bless it. And the world is opposed to that. And what we see here are seven qualities, seven qualities of a godly younger woman. If you have a daughter, I have a daughter. If you want to know what your life's goal, what you ought to be pursuing your life into her end, here here they are, seven qualities of a godly younger woman. Notice the Word of God doesn't leave this ambivalent, doesn't leave it up to our own conjecture. Hey, just fill in the blanks. No, very clear, Paul says, "Here's, here's what a godly woman should be about. Here are seven characteristics that ought to describe a a godly woman. And and what he's telling us is that our roles are not up for personal preference. It isn't, I do it my way, I'm going to... No, no, they're not up for personal preference. Clearly established, non-negotiable, here they are. If you have a daughter, if you are a daughter, older women who, who we spoke to last week... These are areas that we ought to be pouring into our younger generation for them to pursue. And the first thing he says, the first thing he says about younger women, the first thing there to train them in, notice what he says, love your husbands. A godly younger woman loves her husband. Interesting. Only place, the only place in Scripture where we see a woman is commanded to love her husband is right here. Right here. You go to Ephesians 5, you go to 1 Peter 3, other places, it says to what her husband? Respect her husband. Respect. Here he says, love your husband. Husbands are frequently commanded to love their wives. Ephesians 5, 
all over it. 1 Peter 3, Colossians 3.19, husbands, love your wives. What, what Paul is saying here is that the, a woman's primary commitment under the lordship of Jesus Christ over her life is her husband and her marriage. Primary commitment. Commitment number one, family. Primary way that a woman glorifies the Lord is through her family. It's through loving her husband. Primary thing. Number one objective in glorifying the Lord is love your husband. And and again, if you're like me, this strikes me as very strange. Learn to love. Learn to love. A woman needs to learn to love her husband. I mean, our culture would tell you, hey, you either feel it or you don't. You either, you either love them or you don't. You got this feeling down somewhere in here, and you just, oh, you can't, can't wait to wake up in the morning and serve them. And you are, you, you just, if you, if you marry the right person, you are giddy every day to get up and just serve that guy. I, who feels that way? Allie. Well, can y'all keep that quiet? For the sake of the rest of us, because I know Karen don't wake up. That's not against Karen. I got a great wife. I'm not lovable. Most of the time, I'm not lovable. Learn to love. We'll meet with Jay. You and Gary can teach us men how to be better. Maybe we can bring that out. The, the word here, the word here points to, it, it, it's, it's a love of companionship. It's a love of friendship. You know what Paul is saying? Your husband ought to be your best friend. Your husband ought to be your best friend. Not just somebody that wears a ring you gave him. Not just somebody that you tolerate. Your best friend. The call here is, wives, do what you have to do to develop, to cultivate a deep companionship with your husband. A companionship. Be his best friend. Do what you got to do so he's your best friend. And there is a great gulf between what society teaches about love and marriage and, and what the Bible teaches about love and marriage. And a young woman, just like all of us, is going to get hit with the dailiness of marriage and sometimes the dailiness of marriage, the dailiness of parenting. It's 24-7. It never ends. That's where we can get worn down real quick. It, n- it never ends. And that dailiness is going to oftentimes seek, Satan is going to seek to strike a blow at your commitment to your family and and where you are because of the dailiness, the monotony of it. You know, think about this, the first time you, uh, as a mom, think about this, the first time you're standing in, in the grocery store fighting with your kids, Probably hadn't taken a bath yet that day because you just to get the kids out of the house. You got stuff to do. Your 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 hair's not done maybe the way you want it to be done. You're 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 calling out to the kids who are re, who are rearranging things in the produce aisle at at Publix and and they're taking the apples and putting them in the orange pile and the orange pile and and, and you as a mom are, are are doing all this and in the midst of that you realize that your husband is at work and today work involved playing golf. You don't think Satan's attacking you? We've all been there. How's your day? Well, I played 18 holes. Well, Karen ain't sympathizing with me. That could be the worst 18 holes I've ever played. She ain't sympathizing with me. Now, let me tell you about my day. Your kids just rearranged the produce aisle at Publix, Chris. 
you know, how do you like your husband then? When you're standing there looking at that and you're thinking, he's, he just got done. I, I was the other day, I, 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 I got done with a Bible study I did and I was headed back to the office and it's on Hillsboro and I stopped in at uh, uh, Guia's there and had a Cuban sandwich and, and my wife and I love to, uh, to go there if we have a chance. It's very good, it's very cheap. And I was sitting there and I thought about, for a brief second, I thought, I'm going to take a picture and text Karen. And I was like, yeah, that might not be a good idea. <laughs> That's probably not a good idea. Chances are she had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich that day. Maybe if she ate anything. It might have been on a, you know, it was their bread. It was their bread left from all the kids' lunches. That's optional. You know, but hey, I'm so happy for you, Chris. You ate a fresh Cuban from Aguillas. I'm so excited for you today. Now, I did not send the text. I did not do it, thankfully. But again, you know, marriage, marriage can become real monotonous, real hard. The dailiness of it. You know, I mean, we're not always lovable as husbands. Let's be honest. Come in from a long day, plop down at the front of the TV, probably later than we should have, missed dinner, and next thing you know, we're asleep and calling a day to get up next day and do it all over again. That's not what that's not that's not a recipe for lovable. That can that stuff can eat. That can eat at your marriage. But how nice would it be to have, when you're going through that, to have a younger, an older woman come alongside of you and say, hey, I've been there, done that. It's a season. I've been there, done that. See your husband through it. Been there, done that. It, it'll get better. That's what Paul's talking about here. I mean, I'm not trying to let the cat out of the bag, but husbands, we're not very good at being lovable sometimes. We're not very good at understanding how hard it can be to be a wife. How hard it can be to be our, our wives. And guys, we need to affirm this in our wives. We need to make sure that, that, that we're doing everything we can to not eat at this. To not erode this. To help them. And, and help your wife in these areas. Help, help her. You know, date her. Do all the things that you need to do to help her cultivate a companionship, a friendship, a great love for you. This isn't you do whatever you want to do and then demand that she loves you. No, you help her. You help her. So a young woman, a young godly woman loves her husband, but not only that, she loves her children. And Paul takes the shock value of, of what he just said even to a higher level, and he says wives need to be taught how to love their children. And does a mom really need to be taught how to love her children? And the answer is yes, on a lot of levels. We need help. Because, by the way, if kids aren't lovable, I mean, if, if husbands aren't lovable sometimes, those kids, we got to keep going back to the Word of God saying, children are a gift. Children are a gift. I'm trusting you by faith, Lord. Children are a gift. Easy. That's the same man whose wife is eager to love him every day. You know, it's tough. It's tough. And, and what, what Paul is saying here is Christian moms are called to a lifestyle and a plan 
that cultivates and grows children with godly character. Your main job as a mom is to grow a child, grow your children into godly character, to develop godly character in them. The end of all we do is not just to keep them alive, although some days that may be a good day if you just keep them alive. That's not the end-all, end-all to what we're called to do. We are to raise them to be strong boys and girls, soldiers for Christ. It's not just to get them out of the house. It's not just to get them a great education, make sure they get good A's and get a scholarship and all these things. It is to raise them up that they are ambassadors for Christ. The goal of parenting is to love our, way, love our children in such a way that they, number one, have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and they are living that out. The goal of parenting is not just to get our kids saved. That is certainly a goal, but it is to grow them up in that salvation so they are mature in the faith. We don't quit our job. Oh, he, little Johnny professed Christ at age five. I'm done. No, your job just began. You now have an infant in Christ, in your, in your possession. Raise that person up to be strong and mature in the faith. And it goes way beyond simply being saved. They are to grow up in respect to salvation, and that is your job. And if you're like my wife, my wife spends more time with our kids than I do. She's at home with them, and moms, he's saying, again, dads have to make sure this happens, but moms, a lot of times this falls on you. To make sure that your boys and your girls are growing up in the Lord. That they're displaying the character of the Lord. And you're loving them that way. And the greatest joy, the greatest joy in motherhood is children who are committed to Christ. I guarantee you there'll be no joy in motherhood than to grow up and see your son or daughter living for the Lord. But that takes a lot of work now, a lot of sacrifice now, a lot of self-neglect now. And children can test that. Some of you may be in here thinking, when you read 1 Corinthians 12 and Paul's thorn in the flesh, you, 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 you have a name to that thorn, and he came from you. you, you you're thinking about kids. That's not what Paul's talking about, but they can be tough. Irma Bombeck, listen to this. I read this quote, or Irma Bombeck, she said the following today in a book I was reading. This, this is kind of motherhood. We've all been here. I'm sure you moms can relate. It hits on a dull, overcast Monday morning. I awake realizing there is no party in sight for the weekend. I am out of bread, and I have got a dry skin problem. So I say it aloud to myself. What's a nice girl like me doing in a dump like this? The draperies are dirty and will disintegrate if laundered. The arms of the sofa are coming through. There's Christmas tinsel growing out of the carpet. And some clown has written in the dust on the coffee table, clean me. She says, it's those rotten kids. It's their fault I wake up feeling so depressed. If they'd only let me wake up on my own just one morning. She said, why do they have to line up along my bed and stare at me like Moby Dick just washed up on the beach somewhere? <laughs> you know, that sometimes that's the way, like, can I just wake up on my own one morning? Can I just sleep till I wake up? You ever felt like that? Can I just sleep until I, like my body just is tired of sleeping and just wakes up? That's not a mom. You know, that, that's, that's the reality. But to have some older women come alongside and say, hey, it gets better. It's only a season. Hang in there. 
Hang in there. That, that's the challenge. We're not always lovable. Teach them to love their husbands. Teach them to love their children. And the love here, it is a committed type of love. It is not a love that's based on circumstances or feelings. It is a committed type of love. It, it is a love that is given and felt even when it is not warranted. It's, it's an irregardless type of love. It's a love, that, and that type of love, if we're honest, has to be learned because it's contrary to our flesh. We love to love people when they deserve to be loved, when they are warranted, when my love is warranted. That's what's natural in me. I love you naturally because you can either do something for me, have done something for me, or worthy of my love. But when those three aren't there, it can be a challenge. And Paul is saying, teach them. Older women... Teach them to love their husbands and teach them to love their wives even when it's not warranted. And, and remind, us, remind ourselves, God chooses to faithfully love us and therefore we do the same. We are representing the character of our Father. We are representing to others the way that we have been loved. So love your husbands, love your wives. Younger godly women is under control. A younger godly woman next, he says, is under control. And this, again, this is that characteristic that kind of has pervaded all of the descriptions. Older men, older women, younger men, younger women. It, it, it points to common sense. It points to good judgment. It, it's a woman who doesn't fly off the handle. It, it's a woman who shows restraint. She's not impulsive. She's not impulsive in any of the ways. It's not only talking about with their kids. It's talking about money. It could be talking about food. It could be talking about purchases. It could be talking about emotions. And hear me, this is the virtue that pervades all four categories. This is the main virtue here, under control. Under control. Restraint of passions. Restraint of emotions. She's not going to do anything to jeopardize her home and her faithfulness to the home. Look with me at 1 Timothy 2. 1 Timothy 2, verses 9 and 10. They'll come up on the screen there. Paul writes to Timothy, Likewise, I want young women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly garments. Listen to this. But rather by means of good works as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. Look, you can look a certain way all you want. You know how you tell a godly woman, by, you tell her off by her, you tell her apart rather? You don't want to tell her off. <laughs> and not if you want her to love you. You know how you tell her apart? By her good works. By the way she handles her home. By the way she loves her husband. By the way she loves her kids. In fact, she's under control. It's not by braiding your hair and doing all this other stuff. It's by good works. It's how you live. And the best way that you can learn sound judgment, the best way you can learn all these things is observing it through older women. It's by being around older women and observing it. Not all of us in here, we've said it before, not all of us in here had a, a, a Christian father or mother to watch. Some of us in here are first generation Christians in that sense. We need older men and women to teach us. And a, and, a, and a younger woman who loves the Lord is going to be in control of areas such as finances. Her habits are going to be under control. 
whether that's health or eating or diets for the mom, for the family, chores around the home, all that stuff. She's going to be, it's a, this is a disciplined woman. It's disciplined. And, and a young mom, that discipline is going to be tested with kids and lunches and all that stuff. It's going to be real easy to find yourself involved in things that aren't the primary thing. And Paul is saying, Titus, have the older women teach the younger women to be disciplined, to be under control, to, to, to keep the main thing the main thing. Why? Because life is chaotic. Having a home full of kids can be chaos. And it can be real easy to let things get out of bounds. And he's saying, teach the younger women to stay under control, to make sound judgments. And the challenge, the challenge behind all of these things and the dailiness of life, the challenge is this, that these things that God desires to be honored through, they become a chore rather than seeing them as your means of glorifying God as a younger woman. We begin to look at these things as a hassle and as a burden and as a chore rather than a means to glorifying God. And, and again, it sounds real. I, I'm, I'm, I'm scared to death making some of these statements because I'm a, a guy. So I don't know what it's like to be a girl, a mom. But, but I'm sure it can be a challenge when you're making the 27,000th lunch to say, I'm doing this to your glory, God. When you're doing laundry for the umpteenth time, maybe even that day, doing this to your glory, God. And, and when you're keeping the house in order and you're doing these things around the house and, and your husband's out playing golf, I'm doing this to your glory, God. When he's out at a fancy business lunch and you're eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on bread that's questionable, doing this to your glory, God. Doing this to your glory. See, oftentimes the challenge for us as Christians is not doing the wrong things, it's doing the right things with the wrong motives. It's doing the right things instead of with joy in our heart and glorifying the Lord, then we're doing them with the wrong backing, the wrong motives, the wrong heart. And every family, hear me, I'm not up here to tell you how to divide the chores, how to divide responsibilities. Every single family is going to have to decide that, but do it to the glory of God. And make sure it's done. And a younger, godly mom is going to work with her husband to make sure it's played out. And she's going to make sure that she's focused on the right things. Why? Because in how you love your husband, and how you love your kids, and in how you're under control, the gospel is at stake. Just like he says in chapter 5, I mean verse 5, the word of God will not be dishonored. The word of God is at stake. Next he says, a godly young woman is pure. Every single person in this room today is called to purity. This is not just a, a your young daughter thing. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, You be holy, for I am holy, God says. You know why you're to be holy, pure? is because that's the character that represents God. He's holy and pure. So he says, young women, you be pure. You be pure just like your heavenly Father is pure. And guess what? Our young daughters... And our sons, they need to see that in their moms and dads. Through what we read, through what we watch, through what we say, 
through how we talk about others, how we, how our, our attitude towards government, our attitude towards leaders, all those attitudes. Guess what? Our kids pick up on that. They pick up on it. And, and, and mom, you're the older woman. If you have a daughter, that's to be training the younger woman. It starts with you. If you have a daughter, you're the older woman. I know we don't like to call ourselves older. Guess what? You're older. And you're to be training the younger. And it starts with you. And if these things aren't reflected in your daughter, it's a lot of times it might be because they're not reflected in her mother, as hard as that is to grasp. I'm not saying parenting is perfect, so I, that's why I said it might. It starts in you, Mom. That's where it starts. Purity. Purity. It's a woman whose moral life is characterized by purity and her commitments are char- characterized by purity. It's a woman who's... Is your daughter growing up seeing a mom who's embracing her role as a mom, embracing her role as a, as a wife, embracing the vows, embracing submission, embracing motherhood? Do, do your kids get the feeling that they're an annoyance, that they're an inconvenience? I'm just asking questions. It starts with us. Young women are to be reflections of the God whom they serve. And it starts with a mom and a dad. That's the home is the training ground. It's not the public school's fault. It's not Christian school's fault. It's the home. It starts in the home. Next, he says, a younger godly woman makes her home her priority. And this is where it gets fun. Workers at home. This is always a fun one to talk about. Some of you ladies just eased up on the edge of your seat and you're like, okay, big boy, let's see what you got here. Let's see what you're going to tell me here. Am I, am I wrong for doing this? Am I wrong for doing that? Now, this passage and this one right here can be abused and has been abused. It can be used to guilt women in a lot of ways that are unbiblical. It can guilt women into decisions. I, I grew up, hear me, I grew up with a mom and a dad who worked. And guess what? I never ever sensed that the home was not my mom's priority. Even though she worked, I never ever ever got the sense that the home was not where she wanted to be. Was not her priority. And that, that's what this passage is teaching. Mom, your home is your primary responsibility. Your home is your primary responsibility. Literally what he's saying here is you be busy at home. The home is, your, is a woman's primary base of operation. It, what he's saying is, is you don't have an excuse to fail to neglect and neglect the home and to love your husband and to love your children because you're pursuing something else. That's all he's saying. He's not saying it's unbiblical for a woman to work. I don't believe that's what he's saying. I think he's saying the primary responsibility, you can't do that and neglect your home. You cannot do that and neglect your home. Well, we have bills to pay, so well, change your bills. Oh, I got this. Look, the woman's primary responsibility is at home. And the questions you have to ask yourself are this. Why are you working? Why are you doing what you're doing? That, in the Christian life, the why is oftentimes the bigger issue than the what. Most of my life is not, should I steal or not? 
man, I wonder if I should still, should I, should I have a relationship outside the bounds of my marriage or not? No, it's the, I, can I do, no, it's not can I do this, it's should I do this. What am I doing it for? And, and you can work. Again, I had a mom who worked, I, a godly mother. I'm not saying, I don't believe it's saying that. I think what he's, I don't think he's forbidding that. I think he's saying, you ought to be busy at home, whatever that looks like. Do not neglect your home to pursue outside things, is what he's saying. The home should not be neglected for, for moms to pursue other things. And Paul is saying here, be busy first at home and embrace your responsibility. And then do, do other things. If you're fulfilled by doing that, do it. But don't do it to the, to the neglect of your home. And, and hear me. What Paul is saying here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is good. The world and our flesh, they want to condemn and they want to be divisive and divide over this. Don't do it. God has planted, if we're honest with ourselves, God has planted it in the heart of every single woman here to build a home. They want to build a godly home. Culture attacks that. Culture distorts that. Culture abuses that. But God has given wives and mothers the unique prerogative of building a home, a nest, if you will. And th that's her job. That's her primary responsibility. Do not neglect that to chase after material things and all these other things that the world offers to the neglect of your home. And, and that's, that's, where, that's where the challenge is. In, in this book I was reading, listen, this is the challenge of, of mothering and, and the challenge of, uh, of making a home. Walter Chantry says, What is involved in motherhood? After birth pangs bring children into this world, there comes years of life pangs. That is a blessing. It's a mother's task and privilege to oversee the forging of a personality in her sons and daughters. For this, she must set a tone in the home which builds strong character. Hers is to take great Christian principles and practically apply them in everyday affairs, doing it simply and naturally. It is her responsibility to analyze each child mentally, physically, socially, and spiritually. Talents are to be developed. Virtues must be instilled. Faults are to be patiently corrected. Young sinners are to be evangelized. She is building men and women for God. This is the tough part. Results may not be possible until she has labored for 15 or 20 years. Even when her task ends, the true measure of her work awaits the full maturity of her children. Moses would be much more than an Egyptian rebel and an obscure shepherd, but Jochebed, that's his mother, would not live to observe the consequences of her motherhood. She didn't get to see the work. That right there is the challenge of motherhood. I don't teach Bradley, as much as I'd love to teach Bradley or Sarah something today and never have to deal with it again, that's just not the case. And then I hear the Holy Spirit whisper to me, yeah, and that's not the case for you either, Chris. I wish you could just read something in God's Word one time and then motor on without dealing with it again. And motherhood, is, it's hard. It's unending. Results may vary. Results may not come tomorrow. But we have to be faithful to the task. And, and building a home is the greatest, hear me, if you don't hear anything else, moms, 
Building a home is the greatest context for a woman to experience the freedom of the plan of God in her life and for her to experience the blessing of what God created her for. It's building a home. And if you're here today and you desire motherhood one day, you're not there yet, maybe it's you're young, maybe God hasn't granted children, here's what I would encourage you. Be this woman today in hopes and in faith that God will answer your prayers. Start today. Don't wait till you're nine months pregnant to start developing these characteristics. Start today. If you're a young woman in high school and your desire one day is to have children, be this woman today. Be this woman today. He says says that a young woman is kind. A godly young woman is kind. In, In the midst of the craziness, he says, be kind. In the midst of a husband that's not always lovable, be kind. In the midst of children who don't always appreciate what you do every day for them, be kind. Be kind. He, he, he's saying, hey, it, this is not about deserving kindness. This is a woman who, regardless of what's going on, she is kind to her husband and children and others who don't deserve her kindness. It, it, it means just, the, literally, I, I looked this up, the word literally means it's just a nice person to be around. You're a pleasant person person to be around can 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 others say that about you that you're just nice to be around it it ties in very closely with the under control hey you just take it you deal with it issues come up you deal with it hey they spill you know i mean i can think of a million as i read this i'm thinking man i have failed miserably i i'm i'm the king of making a big deal out of nothing I'm a king at expecting my 9 and 5 year old to act like they're 28. I'm the king of it. Not always pleasant to be around. Do do people want to be around you? That's that's the mark of a godly young woman. People want to be around her. Kind. He, He says, lastly, submissive to her husband. Submissive to her husband. And this this is heralded throughout Scripture. Ephesians 5, 1 Peter 3. All command the same thing. You wives, be subject to your husbands. The point here is they are to yield to their husband's leadership. They are to do all of this with the goal of making their husband a better leader. It helps them out in his role, so you do it. And it starts here, ladies, it starts with attitude and it ends in action. It starts with our attitude. Karen can, can, Karen can ask me the tough questions... And, and yet she can do it in a spirit that is telling me, hey, I want to submit, I want to yield to you, but I just need to... Can we talk this out real quick, Chris? Have you thought this through? The answer is usually probably not. But have you thought this through? It's not with, hey, you're a, you're, you're, you don't know what you're talking about. It's, hey, can we just talk this through? It's a spirit. It's an attitude that wants to submit. But she just, hey, where are you going with this? Hey, if I follow you in this, where are you going to end up? I want to follow you. I just want to know where you're headed. What are you thinking? It's an attitude. And what he's talking about, this is a, this is a woman who has first, before you submit to your husband, you have to first surrender to the Lord. You have to submit to the Lord. This is a woman who has surrendered her life to God, to Jesus Christ, and to the Holy Spirit that lives inside of her. You, if you've not 
your level of surrendership to your husband is oftentimes an indication of your surrendering to the Lord. You must first surrender to the Lord. And look, why? Hear me, why? The answer to all the question, why, is this. So that the word of God will not be dishonored. So the word of God will not be dishonored. He's saying, young women, you are advertisements for the gospel. You're advertisements. You are living, your life is a living Billboard. You can go all the way back to Genesis 1.26. We were created in the image to be representative rulers of God. He's saying, you know how you represent God in your culture? Here's seven ways right here. You want to be an accurate representation? Here it is. The stakes are high. And a woman who claims to be a Christian but does not demonstrate a love for her husband, a love for children, moral purity, being busy at home, being kind submissive to her husband is, an, is not a good advertisement for the gospel, is actually hindering the gospel. And what Paul is saying is, hey, you may not be perfect, but be different. It's not perfection, it's different. None of us are going to be perfect. Husbands, don't expect your wives to be perfect. Wives, don't expect your husbands to be perfect. But do expect them to want to be different. And do expect them to pursue it. To pursue it. And I want to close with, a, with an application by reading Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31, you can turn there, was, was actually a father telling his son what to look for in a wife. And I don't read this to be condemning. I simply read this to show the fruits of what this looks like. Because a lot of what we just read parallels Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31, and and. I'll let the application fall. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you in regards to these things and where, you're, where, you're, where, where, where you need work or, or where you need God's help. Verse 10, an excellent wife who can find. Right there he's saying, hey, this is a big deal. For her worth is far above jewels. Listen to this. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She is like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night and gives food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor, and she stretches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates. You know why her husband is known in the gates? Because of her. He's known in the gates because of her. When he sits among the elders of the land, she makes... You see that when he sits... They're like, man, you got a great wife. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles in the future. At the future, rather. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. That look familiar? She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness, busy at home. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also, and he praises her, saying... 
Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her at the gates. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. And, I, and again, don't, don't walk out of here feeling condemned. Repent where needed. Pursue change where needed. Be willing to come alongside someone you sense is struggling in an area where needed. And in the midst of our struggles, don't, don't be tempted to lower the bar. Don't be tempted to lower the bar just so you can meet the expectation. Pursue greatness as a mom. Pursue greatness as a young lady. Forget what the culture says, and you pursue the Lord. And in doing so, bring great honor to this doctrine. The, que- the question is this, as we walk out of here. How are you representing Christ today as a woman? What kind of billboard are you today for the gospel as a woman?